go. Welcome to our Flicks of the Week. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. All right. This time we are going to be talking about my flick, which is going to be Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, with a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. That's the entire title of that film uh, on Netflix. All right. And you? Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks. Finally. Yes. Uh, Kevin Costner, William Hurt, and Demi Moore. Dane Cook. With a special appearance by Dane Cook. (laughs) Contractually obligated appearance by Dane Cook. And a shovel. (laughs) So, anyway. All right. All that and more. Take it away. Johnny. Johnny. Hello, Johnny. All right. So, um, yeah, I was I was going to do, first I was going to do Master of None Season 2, and then I was going to do, eh, you know, I'll do Punisher. And you know what was weird about The Punisher is I, I don't have much to say about that show. It's good. It's worth watching, but I just don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm on a brain fart when it comes to that one. Um, I think I'm still processing the whole thing. But um, I did see a documentary, the Jim and Andy one, um, which is about, and it just came out, it is about Jim Carrey's um, behind the scenes of the making of Man on the Moon, where he played Andy Kaufman. And it shows how deep into the method acting that he went into for that role. Uh, and uh, it'll, it does interviews with Jim Carrey now, you know, the bearded Jim Carrey that's um, all about existentialism or whatever the fuck you call it. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just it interviews with them and interviews with uh, Bob Zamuda, who uh, Bob Zamuda was uh, like best friends with Andy Kaufman. And he was also his, uh, he wrote some of the comedy skits for him when Andy ran out of ideas. Uh, and also when uh, Andy Kaufman would play Tony Clifton in certain areas, certain you know uh, venues, sometimes Andy wouldn't go to him on purpose. And, and Zamuda would dress up as Clifton instead and go and do that shit. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, there, the, the whole thing has, um, it's behind, like, I guess there was a shitload of footage of this crew that would follow Jim Carrey around, um, that, uh, Universal Pictures, they, they wouldn't allow to be released at the time. And their statement was to, to Jim Carrey himself was they didn't want him to look like an asshole to the public. So they didn't want that footage coming out. So finally, almost two decades after the movie came out, they released the footage, and then this documentary gets made. So it's okay to make him look like an asshole now? Oh, yeah, because he's already doing enough on his own, <laughs> I guess. So, um, you know, but anyway, it, Jim Carrey is, a, is an odd duck now, I, you know, I, I'm especially now. But listening to him, some of the things he says make sense, but some of the things, I don't know if it's, you know, you just take it however you want to fucking take it when it comes to Jim Carrey. Uh, if you want to at all, but anyway, this this very short documentary. It's only an hour and a half. Which I this thing was so good, it was so entertaining that I could have watched. It could have been four hours long, and I could have kept going with it because Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman, he immersed himself so much into the role that even when family members of Andy Kaufman showed up to the set, they were amazed. They thought that like that he they they said that he had every single mannerism that Andy had. And that, and 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 Jim hardly ever broke character. He most of the time, he was whatever character Andy was playing that day on set. So if it was Tony Clifton or the asshole Andy Kaufman that's like threatening Jerry Lawler and in, you know antagonizing him, uh-huh. or or anything else, it was he was that role that day. And Jim Carrey barely ever came out to, for a visit. Um, and it is holy shit. There, it is fucking hilarious because these cameras. I mean, the fact that they've been holding it back for this long, you know, it's not bullshit. This is this is <laughs> unadulterated care here, right here, and um, 
there are moments where I, I laugh so hard that I had to pause it for, for a few times because uh, there's this one part where they go, um, he has uh, Tony Clifton go to the Playboy Mansion under invitation. Jim Carrey was invited to go and Jim had Zamuda dress up like <laughs> like Tony Clifton. So, because Zamuda was there on the set with the film, right? Right. And so Zamuda dressed up as Tony Clifton. So all of Jim's people called Hugh Hefner's people and said, Jim's showing up, but he's in full character mode with Tony Clifton, right? So fucking Zamuda shows up with his crew as Clifton and fucking Jim Carrey doesn't show up to the party until like three hours later or something. <laughs> and the whole time Hef, Hef and Andy Dick and all these other people have been hanging out thinking this was Jim Carrey in fucking in gear. Right. And then, dude, you when you when when Hugh Hefner sees Jim Carrey show up, the look on his face fucking changed, and like you don't pull one over on on the Hef apparently, especially in his own place. Right, the ego on that fucking That's guy. That's fucking right? funny. And dude, Zamuda got kicked out. I mean, they escorted him out of the back of the Playboy Mansion. They didn't even want him going out the front. And and they, I don't think he was ever Jim or anyone was ever invited back because it was they were pissed they were fucking pissed they're like turn off the cameras give us the tape and all this shit um, and uh, but no the the funniest thing oh my god the funniest fucking thing in the entire thing is when Jerry Lawler comes on to set to um, film his scenes um, the reenactment all the stuff he did with Andy Kaufman in the eighties the wrestling shit and. Jim Carrey's in full-on asshole Andy Kaufman mode, and he doesn't one time fucking relax on him. He is constantly berating the shit and taunting the shit out of Jerry Lawler. And at first, Lawler's like, okay, I I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Okay, I'm okay with it. But he kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And finally, Lawler lost his shit. And fucking knocked him the fuck down, and it was it was insane. It, they had to they had to break him up and shit. And and Jim Carrey said he said, look, I'm gonna do what I need to do, and if I get my nose broken, I get my fucking nose broken. I don't give a shit. I, I'm here to do this exactly the way that I think it's supposed to be done. And so, there's this part where um, they uh, Jim's people get him into his trailer away from Lawler, uh-huh. and fucking Jim starts opening the fucking trailer door, peeking his head out, going Lawler. He's fucking teasing the shit out of him, and it, it's so goddamn funny. It, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, it, so the, yeah, the interviews are with um, Jim Carrey um, talking about you know the mindset and all that stuff back then. But then he also goes into his like like the meaning of life for himself now and all this stuff like that. And right. and there's some fascinating shit in this. He said that um, a lot of the movies that he did. Um, whatever character he was playing at that time emulated what he was going through in his life at that time and it's like dude like so when he was doing the Truman Show like you know him being an extreme celebrity and everyone in the world was watching him and he didn't know how to deal with it when he found out about it kind of thing right and then Man on the Moon with him being Andy Kaufman and then I and then they didn't talk about this but immediately I thought about what's the next movie he did after that it was me myself and Irene and it had multiple personalities right? right and that was him I think he picked that role because that was him transitioning back from 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 Andy back into Jim, and and so I think that that like kind of me thinking about that backed up what he was saying about it, you know all these fucking roles that he's delved into, and um, it's just it's fascinating, the fascinating what he had to say about it, and um, I, one of the most compelling things was when the the director asks uh, Jim during the interview, um, you know now Jim, um, he says. Do you ever miss 
Andy. And before he even finishes the sentence, Jim immediately says no. And then every time he, the, the director tries to ask it in a different way, like, well, what if you could? No. Jim is like fucking like ready. He's like, he's like, you don't understand. I had to break away from this guy. I can never go back to him again because I immerse myself so much into him that I, I'm just done with it. I'm done with him. Like when they, when um, REM did the, um, the great beyond video after the movie was made and they invited Jim to come back as Andy and be in the video, he turned them down and he said he felt bad about it, but he, he explained why he said I could at that time. He said, I could not go back to Andy. I could not fucking do it because I, I, I had to let him go. I had completely let him go. And so it just things like that. It's, it's, uh, if you're a fan of Jim Carrey, you're a fan of Andy Kaufman, you're a fan of that movie. It's, it's compelling to watch. It's, it's entertaining as hell. Um, you know, seeing all the, all the footage that you see with like, like Danny DeVito there and, and, um, even stuff with, uh, Courtney Love, um, all the behind the scenes stuff between her and, you know, cause he's playing Andy Kaufman the whole fucking time. Right. And she just, she feeds into it. She, she was feeding into it with him and, like she would fuck with him on purpose, as you know, Andy Kaufman and stuff. And you know, it, it's uh, it, yeah, it's it's really interesting to watch, man. I, hmm. uh, I highly recommend it. And like I said, it's only an hour and a half, so you're not gonna miss a lot of time. You know, thinking, oh, this long ass boring documentary. It's not. It's it's very well worth seeing. So it's called uh, you know, one more time. It's called Jim and Andy: The Great Beyond, with a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. <laughs> Shout out Tony Clifton. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's all I got. Oh, sorry, hundred percent right, um, right now on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Everybody likes it. So, yeah, Joe, Joe gave me his recommendation, which was Mr. Brooks, and I had been sitting on it, and, it, and not for lack of wanting to watch it, but my my schedule for working. Just the right time. You needed the right time to watch. Yeah, it. Yeah, uh, my my schedule for working. I get home at like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock at night, and. I don't want to do nothing. I get up around seven. <laughs> and um, sorry, I got Guns N' Roses nah, on the brain. <laughs> no, it was uh, Mr. Brown's song. I love that song. Um, so finally, I was just like, you know what? I'll uh, I'll fucking wa- I'm gonna fucking watch this goddamn movie. Yeah. God damn it. So I did, and uh, I wasn't disappointed. I mean, generally, Joe doesn't bring me dog shit movies. <laughs> um, you liked Go, except for the second act. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, except for the uh, the Las Vegas. Act. Fuck you, Vegas. <laughs> um, Kevin Costner plays a split personality. He's a serial killer, yeah, and he's been doing it for a long, 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 long time. And uh, he finally he joins AA as, because he's addicted to it. Yeah, so he gets a rush out of it. Yeah, so instead of so so when we pick up the movie, he's been in AA for X amount of years, and. At some point, something triggers him. You know, it's there's a couple dancing that he sees, so he starts to go into this regular pattern. And what's really cool is they have William Hurt, who plays Marshall. It would have been better if they called him Walter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Alter. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's clever. Yeah, you're right. I know it's clever. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> He's the genius alter ego of Mr. Brooks. Um, Cosner plays Earl Brooks. He's a successful businessman who has a dark side. He's a serial killer that's never been caught. He's genius level on par with Hannibal Lecter. The difference is that he uses AA to keep his compulsions down. Something triggers him at the beginning of the movie to want to kill again. So he ends up killing this couple um, for whatever reason. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just a random fucking murder. Yeah. But the problem is, is that he gets caught. There's a witness. Yeah, there's a witness. That witness is Dane... 
uh, Cook, who plays Mr. Smith or Baffert. He's a photographer. Uh, he witnesses the return of Mr. Brooks' serial killing ways. He photographs the murder in the face of Brooks. He blackmails Brooks into allowing, allowing him to go with, with Cosner's character to kill a person. So what they do is they are going to choose a person at random. So Cosner sets this whole meeting up. They, they meet. They go on this drive. Yeah. What's amazing about it is William Hurt, who plays the alter ego, is physically there during the scene, during yeah. some of the scenes. Like sitting in the back seat. And he's talking with with Cosner as Cook is just sitting there, like completely ignoring it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I was impressed with Dane. I mean, he's a good actor. He really is a good actor. But it's amazing the whole interaction between Cosner and Hurt. Yeah, that's my favorite parts of the movie. And... As they're going, he goes, you know he's going to try to kill you. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that he will, yeah. you know, type of thing. But you under, you, you begin to understand that he's not having this dialogue outside. This is all inner dialogue, yeah. inner, inner monologuing. But he keeps looking over at Cook, you know, while he's saying these things. And in some cases, the dialogue is actually external mm-hmm. because when he looks over at Dane Cook and he'll say something, it's also in regards to the conversation that him and Dane Cook are having. Yeah. So, Brooks says that the only way to do to, to to kill a person is that if Baffert is the one that picks the victim. Yeah. So they're they're driving around and picking, and they finally pick a victim, a guy that basically cuts them off while they're driving and shit like that. And and yeah, a and, road rage fucking killing. Yeah. <laughs> and Dane's like, "Oh, we're gonna do it right now." He's like, "No, we have to. We basically have to vet these people. We have to make sure that." You know, this is the right one. Yeah, you yeah, so you can't be sloppy. That's why you get caught. Yeah, you, you have to do your research. Yeah. So it's gonna take it's gonna take some time. So get used to this. So as they're sitting there, Demi Moore, who plays a cop, is investigating these murders. While at the same time, she's dealing with her piece of shit lawyer husband, who is suing her for X amount of money. She has a bunch of money because yeah. she has inheritance or something, I think. Yeah, she yeah. has inheritance money. She's she's a rich kid, but she had to make her own way. Yeah. Because uh, her dad wanted a, do- uh, 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 a, a boy instead of a girl, and he made it very clear to her. So as as this is going on, I, and I can't remember where the two thuggies, but I think it was the, the husband or the lawyer, the husband's lawyer that set this up, that the two thuggies tried to... to um, um, abductor yeah for ransom money you know and she finally escapes and whatnot and um as this is going on mr smith had noticed that that was going on he also has access to police police files he's hacked a system so he has access to dmv records and police scans and and all this other stuff so he knows what's going on with demi moore and he's tracking her because she's tracking him yeah right and to see if she's worthy prey it seems like yeah, and also he wants to stay ahead of the game. Yeah. yeah. So he notices that these two thugs are are um, have tried to abduct her. Yeah. And as they're sitting in this parking lot of a Walgreens or a CVS pharmacy or whatever, um, following a guy that they're going to have uh, Dane Cook's character kill, he notices these two thugs. And he's like, plan B. Yeah. And Dane Cook's like, what do you mean plan B? He's like, this isn't, this isn't the right one. Yeah. The, I've... We're going to do it right. We're going to do it this way. Yeah. Right. So as that goes on, he he has Dane go with him to kill Demi Moore's ex-husband and the lawyer. Yeah. Right. But 
in the process, Dan Cook fucking pisses himself. Yep. That leaves DNA evidence. And they didn't clean it up. And so as they're, uh, so the whole as the whole movie is going on, you 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 know that Dane Cook is trying to do something, you know, to kill Mr. Brooks to you know, to to be the guy. Yeah. Right. He's <laughs> he's this he's this guy. That can only be one. Yeah. <laughs> he he's he's this he's he's always amped up. Yeah, let's do it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Type of thing. Oh, this is so great! The first kill, right? Fucking awesome. Yeah. So they kill it, and that's exactly how he is. That was great. It was such a rush. Let's do this. Yeah. And he pulls a gun on Mr. Brooks, right? Yeah. In the meantime, Demi Moore, who is also investigating these guys, finds out where Baffert is living. But it's a trail that's been set up by Mr. Brooks. Mr. Brooks literally had all of Baffert's stuff moved out of his own apartment yeah. and then left a fucking note. Yeah, he set him up as the patsy. Yeah, it left a note to set, to set up these two thugs that Demi Moore ends up killing. Yeah. Uh, that tried to abduct her, right? Mm-hmm. And then as that goes on, Kevin Costner is planning on killing himself. Mm-hmm. But and, and there's this whole sub arc. It's actually a kind of unimportant sub arc between and his wife plays was played by Marge Hel- Helgenberger. Yeah. And his daughter, and I can't remember her name right now offhand, but his daughter comes home after there's been a killing at her school. She lives in Palo Alto. Yeah. And he has this idea in his head that maybe his daughter is like him. Yeah. So, and and I think that's where the story gets kind of weak, is that it didn't, um, it it didn't really address that. I'm just glad that that ending they had, where it turns out just to be a dream. Yeah. That was, one part. I'm glad it was just a dream because it would have been a little too extreme as of an ending. Yeah, it was kind of a bullshit Hollywood ending. But so, anyways, Cosner's idea is. You know, I'm gonna have this guy kill me, and then my my I'll be released from this fucking hell that I'm in of, of being a serial killer. And then oh, he realizes Danielle Panabaker. That's it. That's uh, she plays Killer Frost on Flash. Yes. Okay. So she, um, I'm sorry. He he goes to a cemetery which he owns. Yeah. And he had already explained everything how it's gonna happen. You're gonna you're gonna shoot me. I'm gonna fall into a grave. You're gonna fucking bury the body, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then they're gonna lower a coffin on top of it. Yeah. And that's that. And then nobody will know. Yeah. But he he starts to explain it. He's like, you know, I really wanted you to kill me, but I came in. I bent the pin on your on your gun, so you're never gonna be able to fire it, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then it, as he's talking, he's switching places with Dane, right? Yeah. And he's like, you could take this gun, you know, but really this is how it's going to end up. I wanted you to kill me, but my kid's pregnant. I want to be a grandfather. I want to be a granddad. I want to live a little bit longer. I want to see what that's going to be like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it pretty much it's you're the one that's going to be um, set up as the thumb, the thumbprint. Yeah, the thumbprint murderer. Okay. And, it's been uh, a while since I've watched it, you know. But. And... Uh, when when you disappear, there'll be a press release or whatever. There'll be some information that leads you to being the thumbprint murderer. He goes, well, how's that going to happen? He goes, because you left DNA in the apartment. Yep. Of and this is the, this whole conversation happens between the car and the cemetery. You left DNA in the apartment, and they're just going to figure out that you're the you're the guy. You know, you pissed yourself because you're waiting too long or whatever. Yeah. You know, something happened. So he kills Dane Cook with a shovel, yeah. right? And falls into the falls into the grave. Cosner goes home, and, and, and I'm 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 leaving out some of, some of the details. Yeah. Details, which is he has a studio, 
and there's a big burner in the studio. And every time he goes out and does a murder, he has all the same suits. Yeah. And, and he buys shoes and whatnot. And then he takes all those out. And then when he's done with the murder, he vacuums and cleans his entire car. Mm-hmm. And then, because he owns a Volvo, the this, this shitty old 80s Volvo. A very unsuspicious looking Volvo. Yeah. yeah. And then when, when he's done with killing people, he takes off all of his clothes and he burns them in in this in this uh his studio let's just call it that yeah so that way it, it can't be traced well he goes home and then he goes to kiss his daughter good night and she ends up stabbing him in the neck oh that's right i can't remember if it was a slice or a stab with, with a pair of scissors is what it is oh, okay and then he wakes up because he's having a dream because yeah. he's thinking that the, in this whole movie during the whole movie when when she comes back home because she's pregnant that he thinks that there's something deeper yeah like well, it's, a, it's a genetic you know well alter or marshall thinks that there's something deeper right yeah. you know and that she's the one that's actually that committed this murder and and it's and now it's triggered right yeah because it's like she had a missing boyfriend or something yeah something like that yeah. so um what ends up basically happening is the uh the whole the whole movie is is Cosner having to deal with these two things. That's really all it is. And at the end of the movie, he calls Demi Moore. He tells her, "Hey, you know, um, it's me. I'm the one that set this all up. You don't have to worry about anything." Yeah. You know, the thumbprint killer. Obviously, that that it's all inferred that he's the thumbprint killer, but you'll never catch me. Yep. And uh, what it comes right down to is that. Um, I'm basically retired. It was a good movie. I, I you know, I, I give it a six and a half. Yeah. Um, because it should have it should have delved a little bit deeper into the Daniel Panabaker stuff. Uh huh. But maybe they're gonna do a Mr. Brooks two with that. I don't know. But it would have been more interesting to see if if she really did because mm-hmm. that's that's where I thought the movie was going. Yeah. In fact, I was gonna text you and say she's also a serial killer. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't know it yet. It's a, um, on the director's commentary, Bruce Evans said that the film was to be the first of a trilogy, but as with any franchise, it depended on the film's profits. Despite its commercial success, there are no plans to make further films. Speaking in April 2009, Panabaker said, everybody wanted to make a trilogy. I saw Kevin last summer, and we still would love to. The idea of my character and Kevin's character, it'd be so much fun. I think you got to see how manipulative they both are with each other. I would lo- I would have loved to have done three. Right. So they didn't do it because I mean the movie came out ten years ago. So um, but and the movie made let's see on a twenty million dollar budget it made almost fifty million. So, um, it doubled it. I you know and, and it made made money on home video, but I guess it still wasn't enough. You know. So I mean that, that sucks, but you know what? Uh, I'm fine with it to to a point. Also, like I, I it could have been maybe stretched thin if they did it that way. I I kind of maybe as a solo one film, you know, it it, it works better. But I don't know. That, that's just my opinion. But I love the whole William Hurt thing. The, all the just, you know, it's like William Hurt's character said the things that, that Kevin Costner would not say out loud kind of thing, you know, as his conscience or his alter ego or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, Walter. Yeah. So, all right. Um, that's all there is. I think that's it, man. I, I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything worth talking about news-wise or anything, you know. So, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got to think of another one for you uh, to 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 check out soon. So I'll I'll get to that eventually. I got well first. I got to ask you certain ones if you've seen them or not. So and then half of them you'll go fuck you, and then <laughs> you're like you're like I'm not watching that one. No. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, so for uh, 
Cinsky Movie Reviews uh, Flick of the Week. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. All right. Catch you all on the flippy. Bye.